sermon passage for today is Matthew 6, verses 9 to 13. Pray then like this. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Pray together. Oh, our great God. We come this morning to you in the name of Jesus, your son. We come this morning depending upon your spirit to guide us. And Lord, we pray that you would stir us, all of who we are, to delight in you, to long for you, to know your love, to know your grace, to know your peace. Oh, Lord, would you stir in us the joy of the declaration, Christ is ours forevermore. Would you stir in us a longing to be with Jesus and to walk with Jesus and to see him clearly and know him fully that overwhelms all other loves in us? Oh, Lord, would you work today such that even in this room, some of us might Truly say for the first time ever, Christ is mine forevermore. Oh, Lord, we need you. We look to you. We long for your help. Lord, would you enable me by your spirit to speak your word in a way that is honoring to you, in a way that serves your people. We pray all of this in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, You may be seated. I would invite you to take your Bible. Turn to the book of Matthew, chapter 6. Book of Matthew, chapter 6. Today here at Redeemer, we're beginning a new sermon series. Uh, The sermon series is is entitled Kingdom Come. And for those of you who um, are long timers here at Redeemer, this series is a little different than our our normal method. Our normal method is to pick a book and and work straight through that and... um, we very soon will be returning to that. But for the next few weeks, we want to consider a central theme to the Scripture. And the theme is the kingdom of God. And so we're going to try to ask and pray, why is this theme so important in the Scripture And then to ask and pray, Lord, if this is important to you, would you cause me to love your kingdom, to seek your kingdom, to walk in your ways? So each week we'll consider a passage that helps us to understand this theme. Before we go any further, let's just get this. The question of God's kingdom, the question of the kingdom of God. What is it? Why does it matter? Why should I care? What do I do about it? All those questions, it's ultimately an allegiance question. It's it's a question of, am I ultimately committed to Christ, to Christ's work, to Christ's word and to Christ's ways. 
where does my allegiance lie? Where does our allegiance lie? The, the theme of the kingdom doesn't call us to intellectualism. The theme of, of the, the theme of the kingdom calls us to allegiance. Allegiance that looks like faith. Allegiance that looks like commitment. Allegiance that looks like obedience. Allegiance that looks like hope. So, the name of the series, Kingdom Come, where does that come from? It comes from the Lord's Prayer. It comes from the passage that Kimberly just read for us. What's going on in Matthew chapter 6, verses 9 through 13, is Jesus is teaching his disciples to pray. Now, this is not intended to be a, a, a merely rote, formulaic prayer that we repeat, but rather Matthew 6, 9 through 13 is intended to teach us to pray. So if you've ever wondered, like, how can I learn how to pray? Jesus would say, go right here, think about this, learn this, pray this, and let your prayers go out from here. But one of the things in verse 10 that Jesus tells his disciples to pray, to God, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. So what we're going to see this morning is that Jesus teaches his disciples to pray for the coming of God's kingdom. And in teaching his disciples to pray for the coming of God's kingdom, we see that it's God who builds the kingdom, disciples long for the kingdom, and disciples live for the kingdom. So what we're going to see this morning is that God builds his kingdom, disciples long for his kingdom, and disciples live for the kingdom. So let's look at the passage, and let's consider this, this invitation from Jesus to pray for the coming of his kingdom. So if you want to take notes this morning, the first point is a disciple's longing. So as part of this model prayer, Jesus says, disciples, pray this, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And so really this morning, we, we want to consider these few words. But, but before we consider the words, let, let's notice what's, what's going on here. Go back to verse 7. Jesus said, when you pray, don't heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do, for they think they will be heard for their many words. Don't be like them, for the Father knows what you need before you ask him. But pray like this. So Jesus is saying, I'm going to tell you things to pray for. Is that freeing to anybody but me? Is that freeing to anybody but me? Jesus said, I'm going I'm to tell you things to pray for. If Jesus says, pray for it, the implication is that it's good to want it. If Jesus says to pray for it, the implication is God wants us to want it. If Jesus says to pray for it, the implication is God wants our hearts to be attuned to these things. 
Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. We can pray for that. We can long for that. We can pursue that with our lives. That's not today's sermon, but that's how this works. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. That means we can pray for that and we can long for that and we can pursue that with our lives. Give us this day our daily bread. We can pray for that. We can long for that. We can pursue that. Forgive us our debts as we've also forgiven our debtors. We can pray for that. We can long for that. We can pursue that. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. We can pray for that. We can long for that. We can live for that. So that's the way this prayer goes. Jesus says, pray this way. And in praying for these things, learn to long for these things. And in longing for these things, learn to pursue these things in your living. I think that's how the Lord's prayer is intended to work. So today we, we want to look at this, this, this one piece of the prayer in verse 10. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. So God, the passage is saying, God has a kingdom and he's calling on the disciples to pray for it to come and be experienced in the here on earth and in the now. So what does your kingdom come mean? I'm going to blow your minds for a second, okay? You ready for this? Come means to come. We good? Everybody, everybody got that? Settled in? Let it, let it be known and experienced and manifest and be present. So when we say, let your kingdom come, what exactly are we asking for? <clears throat> I would say this. The scripture never gives us a clear, simple, 18-word definition of the kingdom. Wouldn't that be awesome? Wouldn't that be awesome? Like if Jesus would have said this, let your kingdom come. And this is what I mean exactly by your kingdom come. Your will be done. And this is exactly what I mean. Like, like wouldn't that just be awesome? But, but rather the scripture, well, first of all, I think this concept was far more understood by the original hearers than it is by us. And the scripture would cause us to wrestle with what exactly does this mean? Um, the idea of kingdom runs throughout the entire scripture. But at its core, the idea of kingdom is very simple. The kingdom of anything is the place where the king rules and is honored among and by his 
followers. Like, put on your four-year-old king knight castle play mind, and, and it actually drives us where we need to go. The idea of kingdom is there's a king, and he's over all things, and he rules, and he reigns, and he has a place where he rules and reigns, and he has a people who submit to him, okay? That's what the idea of kingdom is in the scripture, When we say, God, let your kingdom come, what we're saying is we acknowledge you as the one true king. You're over all. It all belongs to you because you created all of it. And we are your people because of what you have done for us through your son Jesus, and we're going to acknowledge joyfully your reign over us. Okay? So there's one fine distinction between worldly definitions of kingdom and a biblical definition of kingdom, and that's this. By sheer fact of human birth, you are in the kingdom of the United States of America. Parenthetical note, that has nothing to do with the kingdom of God. And we'll talk about that in a later week, okay? But I'm just going to play this out. But by birth, you're a part of the kingdom of the United States of America, okay? And... You're under the authority of the government of the United States of America. And so we do things like every April the 15th, we pay our taxes in submission to the reign of the government of the United States of America. Okay? Everybody with me? I'm now like traumatized and wounded everybody because I've said taxes and April the 15th, right? But here's the difference about the, the, the biblical idea of kingdom. The people of the king in the biblical idea submit to the king's reign joyfully. We understand that his reign is good and right and better. And we understand that belonging to him is the better way. And so we submit to his reign joyfully. So the kingdom of God is not a physical place that we can go to and check into and check out of. Rather, in Scripture, the kingdom of God is a currently a spiritual realm where we acknowledge the greatness of the king in conversion and we follow him and love him and serve him in this world and we do so joyfully. And this kingdom plays out even while we are part of other kingdoms. So simultaneously, I'm a part of the kingdom of God if I'm a believer in Jesus, and I'm a part of the the United States of America if I'm a citizen of the United States, and I'm a part of all other things. But, But what the scripture says is, 
Lord, we want your kingdom to come. So I've tried to think, because I, I can see some of you like, dude, like you need a whiteboard and this is getting too vague. Like, like, like just hear me. So what the scripture tells us is the world's broken and Christ is the answer. And there's a future day when Jesus will return and right all the wrongs and put away all the enemies whereby all that will be left is the kingdom of God. And there won't be any split allegiances anymore because all that will be left is the kingdom and it will last forever. So in the simplest way, again, I'm grasping for simple language. What would it look like? What would the full kingdom of God look like? What if the great commission was completed and the great commandment was fulfilled. Now, I'm going to tease that out, but what if the great commission was completed and the great commandment was fulfilled? So hear it. The great commission. Jesus said, Matthew 28, 18 through 20, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Jesus commanded his followers to go into the earth to all the nations of the earth and invite people to repent and believe and submit to him. John chapter 3 tells us that the kingdom of God is only entered by faith. It's only entered by new birth. So the going out of the gospel, people coming into the kingdom by faith in Jesus is an expansion of God's kingdom. So what if that was complete? What if all the nations had heard and all the peoples had believed and every name written in the Lamb's book of life is walking with the king? New reality, new reality. And what if all those who knew and walked with the king fully, unequivocally, in all ways, served and honored Jesus as king? The great commandment, Matthew 22, verses 25 through 30. A lawyer asked Jesus, teacher, which is the greatest commandment in the law? And Jesus said to him, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the great and first commandment. And the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments depend all the law and the prophets. So what if all the peoples were brought by faith into submission to Jesus and all the peoples who were brought in by faith joyfully walked in God's ways, joyfully walked in his word, joyfully loved him and served him and loved their neighbor and served their neighbor fully in a way that would honor Christ. What if? If you put those two things together and spread them throughout all the earth, that's what a full kingdom 
would look like. Who wants to go there? Anybody? Sounds good, right? The scripture says that's where we're going. But it also says we're not there yet. So when we pray, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven, we're saying Lord, would you bring to our earth in the here and now a greater experience, a greater tangible expression of your kingdom through your people? Which if I've defined it correctly would mean that as we repent of sin, believe in Christ, and yield to him, we are being an answer to this prayer. The kingdom is coming. And when those who believe in Christ are continually turning away from sin, walking with Jesus, and walking in his ways, there is a greater expression of his kingdom coming. So so what this passage begins to show us is it's God who brings the kingdom. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. The prayer is asking God to take the action of bringing the kingdom to us. But disciples long for the kingdom enough to pray for the kingdom. And disciples long for the kingdom enough to live for the kingdom. So the Lord's prayer is is, is an invitation to say, Lord, would you bring your kingdom to bear among us? Lord, would you give us us, your people, a longing for your kingdom that transcends all the things of this world. And Lord, would you cause us to live for your kingdom? Now, what I want you to take from Matthew chapter 6, verse 10, is that Jesus wants us to pray for the kingdom, long for the kingdom, and live for the kingdom. And we're going to spend the next five weeks figuring out from the rest of Scripture, what does it look like to long for the kingdom and to live for the kingdom? But what I want to do quickly as we conclude is I want to begin to put this idea of the kingdom that is to come into the flow of Scripture. So the second point, kingdom and the Bible. Kingdom and the Bible. And I want want you to know that I now realize this should have been the first point and not the second point. But it's the second point. And at 1030, it'll be the first point. But here we are at 9 o'clock.
The idea of kingdom is very common. It appears the phrase, the, the, the phrase kingdom, kingdom of God, referring to God, appears over 184 times in the Old Testament, over 162 times in the New Testament. In the book of Matthew, where we are right now, it, it, it's, it's called the kingdom of heaven. It appears 28 times. Mark's gospel, 15 times. Luke's gospel, 32 times. The totality of the New Testament, 162 times. I'm just saying, like, like we're not straining out a gnat. This is all throughout the Scripture. Kingdom of heaven and kingdom of God are synonyms. And here's a biblical overview. As simply as I can, I'm going to try to boil the Bible down as simply as I can, showing that this idea of kingdom is central. The, book, the, the scripture begins in its first three chapters, Genesis 1, 2, and 3. Genesis is the first book. 1 is obviously the first chapter. But what we see in Genesis 1, 2, and 3, we would say is creation and the garden before sin, right? Another way to say that is God created a, a, a kingdom that was fully experienced. Meaning if we look at the garden God is the king. He made the garden. He placed Adam and Eve in the garden. They fully experienced the joy of walking with God and walking in his ways and walking in obedience to his word. What God created was a full kingdom where physical living and spiritual reality were one and the same, okay? Then, according to the scripture, Adam and Eve were tempted. They rebelled against God. And they brought sin and death and guilt and shame and fear into the world. That's in Genesis chapter 3 which I basically just explained the maladies of the world in those five words. Sin, death, guilt, shame, fear. That's, it's all broken. It entered because Adam and Eve rejected God's word and rejected God's lordship and ultimately said this kingdom might not be the best. We think there might be a better. So Adam and Eve were kicked out of the garden. And so the second piece of scripture from Genesis 4 forward is the world is no longer experiencing the joy of God's kingdom. They've rejected him. And so one way that we could read the scripture is that the people of God in a fallen world are now experiencing two kingdoms, the kingdom of fallen world and spiritually knowing God. But when God pushed Adam and Eve out of the garden, he promised that he would restore the garden. He promised that he would restore the kingdom. And when Jesus appeared on the scene, thousands of years later, 
but recorded for us in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. This is how his message began. Repent. Why? Because the kingdom of God is here. See, what Jesus was saying is, it's time to repent because the restoration is about to happen. I'm the restorer. I'm the one that God was going to send to restore everything. So Jesus as Messiah came to restore the kingdom. Now, friends, if that's the case, then Acts chapter 1 makes a whole lot more sense to us. Because Jesus ultimately was crucified on a cross. And on that cross, the scripture tells us he took the wrath of God against sinners. The only way to have relationship with God is through Jesus who died to take away our sin. The only way to experience the blessing of the rule and the reign of God is through Jesus who died to take away our sin. Then, three days later, he rose from the dead saying, death can't hold me down. I've defeated death. I've defeated sin. I I come to take away your sin, your death, your guilt, your shame, your fear. I came to take all of that away. And then the scripture tells us, this is in the end of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, that Jesus appeared many times to his followers, showing them that he was alive. And then we get to Acts chapter 1, beginning in verse 8. And what did the disciples say? Hey, Jesus, is this when you're going to restore the kingdom? In our mindset, we don't really know what to make of that. But what they're saying is, is this when you're going to put an end to all this nonsense? Is this when you're going to vanquish all the enemies? Is this when you're going to take away all the threats to your power and your dominion and your glory? Is this when you're going to let us fully experience the restored kingdom that God promised way back when? And Jesus' answer was not yet. I'm going to a place that you're not going to go with me right now. Acts chapter 6 says, Jesus reigns in the heavens now. But I'm going to send the Spirit to you, and he's going to help you walk with me until I come again. So we have the Spirit of God as our guide to walk in God's ways and to pursue his kingdom in the here and now. But the next event that we're waiting for is Kingdom come. It's a vision of Christ returning and exalting himself, exalting his glorious name, tearing down and putting away all of his enemies, fully taking away from us all the sting of sin, all the sting of death, all of, all of the negativity of the fall and saying, you get to experience me under my reign and my authority and walk in my ways forever. And that's where the Bible ends in Revelation 21 and 22 is a vision of Christ bringing kingdom forever, a vision of Christ restoring the garden. Okay, some of you are, are, are 
theology nerds, and you're like, oh, dude, this is so good. I love me some biblical theology. Preach like this every week. Do you think we could wear tweed jackets and smoke pipes during your sermons? And some of you are like, dude, why does this matter? Why does this matter? It matters. Well, hey, because God tells us to long for it and pray for it, but, but it matters because what I'm saying is this, this, this idea of kingdom is not just some abstract theological truth that we're chasing down. It actually is the theme that holds the whole Bible together. And so when we say, Lord Jesus, would you please come back and right all the wrongs? What we're saying is, Kingdom come. Kingdom come. Now I'm going to end this way. The kingdom won't fully come until Christ returns. But that's not the prayer. That's not the prayer. What's the prayer? Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. See, Jesus didn't say pray Come back so this horrible world could be over. But he said, pray that we would move into the kingdom now. So I'm just challenging you. I mean, you're like, I got lots of questions. Come back next week. Come back the next week. Come back the next week. But I'm challenging you to believe that Jesus wants us to long for the kingdom to be manifest and to be experienced in the here and the now. I'm choosing to ask you, I'm asking you to choose to believe that moving into the Great Commission and simultaneously moving into the Great Commandment is, they're not enemies, they're friends, they work together. But that in moving into both of those, we are moving into a greater experience of the kingdom in the here and the now. Whoever shared the gospel with you brought you close to the kingdom. And if the Spirit of God brought you to a place of conviction and repentance and faith, the Spirit of God brought you into the kingdom. And every time you turn away from sin and turn to God's ways, you're moving into the kingdom. So this says, pray and long and live for the kingdom to come through us or through the Spirit at work in us now. So I'm going to give you four questions that are going to show up in every one of these sermons. So you can write them down today or you can write them down next week. Or God can just make you wake up at like 3 a.m. on Wednesday morning. It's really however you want to do this, okay? Question one, Lord Show me what is the kingdom of God. Question two, Lord, have I entered the kingdom of God? Have I entered the kingdom of God? Question number three, Lord, 
where are my kingdom loyalties misaligned? Question number four. Lord, where do I feel the tension between the kingdom of God and all the loves of this world? Friends, I want to invite you to join me in praying these questions and seeking the answers from the scripture and letting them do whatever reshaping they need to do in us. So if you want to do a little reading this week, read Genesis 1, 2, and 3. Read Revelation 20 and 21. And recognize that that is what the Lord is calling upon us to pray for.